continue to update all your assumptions as you learn more and more about them and be realistic what you originally set out for is still achievable or not. Mostly Awesome, a podcast about the wins and fails of innovators. Brought to you by CDTM in Munich. Welcome to Mostly Awesome. In our very first episode, we are talking to Nino Ulsama, an entrepreneur and developer at heart, who has lived and founded seven times on three different continents. As always, we start our episodes by giving you a short intro about the guest who awaits you in this podcast. So we can then start into the conversation right away without bothering about things we can also Google. So Nino studied computer science in Munich and technology management at CDTM. He started his career as a founder and after his first and second startup failed, he moved to Russia to build the e-commerce startup Mabel Rama and later Westwing for the well-known German investor Rocket Internet. As a managing director of Westwing in Russia, he led the country's largest home and living e-commerce platform. Having lived and worked in Russia for four full years, Nino moved to the US from where he founded Personio, an HR software targeted at the German market. Soon after, he handed it over and moved to Singapore. And this sounds confusing? Well, stay tuned to hear how things came about. But if Nino passed on Personio's lead, what is he actually doing today? Well, you wouldn't have guessed it, he found it again, twice. His latest endeavor, StashAway, was founded in 2016, just raised a Series C of $16 million, it was awarded a technology pioneer by the World Economic Forum, and is one of the 10 top startups on the rise by LinkedIn Top Startups 2020. Today, Nino is still the CTO and passionate founder of StashAway, living in Singapore with his wife. I personally really enjoy talking to Nino, for me he embodies grit and authenticity. But before we finally listen into our conversation, Tim, why don't you briefly tell us what expects us there? Also, welcome from my side. We've split the content of our episode in three blocks. First, we ask Nino some questions about his early career. He tells us about his journey and decision to become a founder. And he highlights some personality qualities that he thinks helped him on that way. Moving on, we are talking about Nino's international experience. Especially, what's it like to lead a company while being dependent on a translator at all times? In our third blog, we found out more about Nino's startup StashAway and its co-founders, but also asked him about his prior startups and when exactly he knew it was time to move on from one to the next. I found it really cool how it reflected Nino told us about his thoughts during these difficult decisions. Lastly, as an add-on, as always, our toolbox, when Nino reveals his favorite book, app, podcast, routine, and innovator. So now, with no further ado, let's jump into it, lean back, and enjoy our chat with Nino Olsama. So, Nino, we're super excited to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. Starting this off, we are curious about your early career choices and how you became who you are today. We really want to understand your motivation and decisive points in your early career, if there were any. Maybe with the first question, looking at your CV, there are seven different co-founder positions. Calling you a serial entrepreneur is almost an understatement. Did you always know you wanted to found a company eventually? 
So, yeah, it's an interesting question. Actually, you know, my parents come from rather traditional professions. So, so my mom is a teacher. My dad used to be a doctor. So, you know, I didn't have any exposure growing up to entrepreneurship, so to speak, per se. You know, I decided when I was about to choose what I was going to study and so on, I decided to just follow my passion. Back then, I first actually thought I would study electrical engineering and kind of keep computer science a little bit more as a hobby. So I used to write code before, but I thought if I turned that into my job, then, you know, I'm losing kind of a hobby and, you know, I'm not really going to enjoy that. So, but I did actually end up taking up an internship before deciding on enrolling in university where I did end up working, you know, with code as a, as a programmer essentially uh, and enjoyed that a lot. And, and that kind of drove the main decision to then say, okay, let's just study computer science. Right. And, and I think when things really changed a bit was, was with CDTM really. So the reason I guess to why I picked up CDTM was was maybe I was like a little bit bored at my main studies and I just thought it would be like really exciting to work on, you know, products, building products from scratch, getting, you know, international experience, working with students from, you know, very different disciplines and kind of then at CDTM is where everything changed, right? Because then there came the whole exposure to the, the concept of, you know, entrepreneurship. I saw other people founding companies around me and that's really how I, I got into it I have to say. Thank you for the free marketing CDTM pitch. <laughs> so after you've gone to CDTM was it like okay I'm gonna found everything else is not an option anymore? How did that look like? Yeah so I guess at the time in CDTM there were kind of I would say two main paths so it was either you found a company or you go into consulting. Right. And, and I did explore the consulting route as well. So I did take up an internship with the BCG. I actually had, you know, two projects uh, during my internship period, one which was actually rather exciting in a small team, you know, working very hard. But, you know, we, you felt like, you know, you, you're doing some cool stuff. And, and, you know, I'm still in touch with some of the guys on that team till today. But, you know, the other project was a little bit of the opposite. So, you know, it was uh, you know, a bit boring and, and a large team and, and, you know, not very inspiring. And, and, you know, I was a little bit told that, you know, the first project you had may have been a little bit of an exception and the work may, you know, turn out a bit more boring. Right. And so I, but I did, I did consider the other, the other alternative I also had was, you know, I, I did work throughout my entire, you know, my entire journey as a, as a student, as a working uh, student with a company called Equity Story. Now they're called EQS. And so I worked throughout my entire time there and, you know, they they were very keen on, on getting me on board, you know, as a full-time employee as well, even, you know, willing to carve out a specific role for me. But, you know, I, I still felt it would be maybe too restricted in terms of, you know, having enough freedom to really work on the things that I that I want to work on and, and how I would want to do them. And kind of then it felt just right to start a company. So, you know, I met a couple of guys at CDTM and we just decided to do it. So to be honest, yeah, it's I did consider a few other things, but then the choice ultimately came rather naturally, I would say. Would you say there are any personality qualities that are super important to have? And how did you end up saying, okay, I have these, let's go for it. Yeah. So 
So I think what's important as a founder is you need a lot of stamina and, and grit or whatever you want to call it, because ultimately it's not going to be a straight line. There's going to be a lots of ups and downs. And you can see it if you look at my overall CV <laughs> that there were probably a lot of ups and downs. And so to just continue doing it, I think it's a core character trait you need to have in order to really make it. Another one that I think is quite helpful is if you have a, a high sense of curiosity. So, you know, you really want to be super excited about the industry that you're actually founding a company in. And, you know, because you need to like get to the bottom of what the customer problems really are, how your solution is really addressing that better than anything else out there. And, you know, it takes a lot of like time and effort and energy to go into all the details of that and trying to understand more and more. And, you know, as a company grows, the challenges change, obviously. Right. And so you need to keep having that sense of curiosity to try and find out how to do things better. I think that's important. And I think the last piece, maybe it's also important to bring something to the table, right? So why are you the right person to work on this company? And I think it can be a lot of different things. For me, it was usually, you know, I had some degree of technical skills, right? And so what I would usually bring to the table is, okay, I can actually build whatever we come up with, right? But it may also be a very deep knowledge you have about the industry that you're launching a product in, right? Or, you know, whatever it is, but I think there need to be a reason for you to sit at the table. Uh, and especially in a team with just more than one founder, uh, I think it's also important to kind of the constellation of these people sort of makes sense together. Yeah, super interesting to hear your insights there. Also, now that you've collected all this experience and considering that most of our listeners are students, is there any advice you would give a student after finishing university? I think one piece, if you want to start a company, is ultimately it's going to be extremely important, especially in the beginning, to have a strong founding team, right? So, and the founding team, in my mind, very many times comes out of the personal network. So make sure that, you know, using, for example, the time that you have at CDTM to build a super, super strong network. For me, that was actually super key. And a lot of the connections later on came through the CDTM network. So make sure that you focus on actually building that network. It's going to become more and more valuable over time. Then I think there's a lots of different paths to become a successful entrepreneur. And I think just follow one of them, right? So if I look back for me, the journey was doing it a lot of times right <laughs> over and over again and maybe the early attempts weren't as successful but you know you learn a lot from that nevertheless but a different path may be that you want to first gather working experience in a company in the industry and then with that experience you then years later say okay now i'm ready to found a company right so that's an alternative approach i don't think there is a right way but you know just don't be discouraged like just because you don't have you know the right idea right after you come out of school, right? A, a lot of the times the, the really good ideas may actually only develop, you know, as you actually spend time working in a particular industry. So, so don't be discouraged if you don't have that great idea, focus on your network. And I believe just be, have sort of an open mind for opportunities that may come along and then be ready to also jump and, and grab those opportunities uh, when the time is right. Yeah. So maybe talking about your path here, so you already mentioned founding several times and you did learn a lot on the way. Was there maybe a big mistake in the past that really helped you then to improve for the long run? Yeah, not, I wish it was just one, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, maybe one of the most important things I would say 
that I learned was make sure that the setup and the structure is clean. And and what I mean with that is, you know, you, you want to make sure that you that you don't have people in the cap table, people or, or actually companies in the cap table that are, you know, not either 100% committed or didn't already provide significant value. And so, you know, it can be either one, right? So you can say, okay, maybe someone has done something, has built something, whatever that, that you know, brings this company to a level where, you know, it's just on a different level than it would have been without, then okay, fair, then maybe that person can deserve some portion of the cap table. Or, you know, you are really fully committed and of course you're just a co-founder, right? But then I feel like there's a lot of times where there's something in between and you think it'll work. It's like, okay, yeah, like the company will, you know, will, will drive traffic to the site, right? So it's a future value that hasn't hasn't been uh, established yet. It's a promise, and if you give you know stakes away as part of you know merely a promise of work to be done in the future, I think that's rather dangerous, right? And that has happened a, a few times, and you know, and the same with people, right? So if you have people on board that are not 100% committed, I think it also just entangles the structure more than necessary. So. I think, yeah, that that's one. And, and maybe the other one is, you know, before you fully commit to starting a company, you know, ideally try to find a way to test your hypothesis, right? So without, you know, going all in right away, which, you know, is easy and set and done because you may be super excited. You may think, oh, this is the greatest idea ever. And I really just want to work on that. But try to take a step back, try to actually form a hypothesis around that and see whether you can find a way to test it and make sure that you actually are on to the right thing before you know really going all in great insights from founding so many times but not only have you founded a lot also you have founded in three different countries in germany and russia and in singapore and spent substantial time in all these countries you're currently located in singapore right since 2015 And since in this podcast, we also aim for a bit of an international perspective and we're really curious about your learnings from all these countries and moving so frequently. We also want to dive a bit into the international perspective here. After starting your first two startups in Germany, you moved to Russia, right? Which is quite an uncommon destination and <laughs> it would be great to hear how your decision came to go there and also if there was any major cultural shock, how is the startup scene in Moscow? Right. Yeah, so as you maybe have kind of guessed correctly, it was not planned. It was not something that was like a grand master plan. What happened was basically that Rocket Internet approached me and my co-founder of the, the second startup that basically didn't work out uh, at the time and asked us whether we wanted to move to Moscow, Russia, to, to start an e-commerce company there. And, you know, the idea sounded completely crazy, to be honest. So, and I think it's still probably one of the kind of boldest moves of my entire career to actually have done that. Looking back, Yeah, that was a that was a bit of a crazy decision. And but yeah, I thought it was it was an exciting opportunity where, you know, what I mean, what bad can it bring? Right. I mean, either way, it'll be a fantastic learning experience. That's kind of the way I thought about it. Uh, and so we went for it now talking about Russia. So I think we weren't like super plugged into the startup scene at the time. 
Uh, the reason mm -hmm. I would say being that, you know, there were a handful other rocket companies around, of course, that we, you know, were maybe in exchange with. But but other than that, you know, there, there was a lot of pressure. There was a, you know, a lot of work. So we, there wasn't like a lot of time to like network and stuff. Right. So outside of the rocket network, I would say we were really not very well connected to other startups. And the other problem connected to that also a, a bit of a language uh, barrier, right? I mean, both me and my co-founder were not native speakers. Uh, we tried to learn the language a bit, which is very difficult. Uh, the older you get, the harder it gets to learn the language. <laughs> and so, so, you know, and that's also a little bit of a part of the reason that we didn't integrate super deeply into Russia itself, right? The, like both of us had partners at home so, you know, we were traveling a lot of the weekends. We wouldn't actually spend them in Moscow. We would spend them at home. So we wouldn't actually fully, fully consider sort of Russia as our new home. It was a little bit more of a professional arrangement, right? And, and as I mentioned, learning the language, not only does it get more difficult, but then also, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, it's difficult to make time for it at the end of the day. And so that was a bit difficult, right? I would say, you know, regarding was it some sort of culture shock, I think, so, you know, one of the kind of stereotypes that, that Russians are maybe like a little bit cold when you when you interact with them on the street or like interactions with people you don't know. And, and I think that's definitely true. But actually, when you get to know them better, they're super warm and nice people. Right. But it is a little bit like off putting in the beginning. And, you know, there's, for example, also no culture of just like smiling to other to make the other person feel better, establish a relationship in the business context or things like that. So that was quite different. And that was definitely quite of a barrier to overcome and to get used to in the beginning. So did you actually have like Russian employees and I imagine all your business partners were Russian as well? At the peak, we were maybe around 150 employees. And, you know, outside of the, the two co-founders, there were all of them were Russian. Of course, we tried to hire people that speak English for the most part, but not all of the employees of the company would speak English. Right. So we would have, you know, company town halls where, you know, someone had to translate for us. And and in the same way, as soon as you, of course, then establish business relationships, the person on the other side would normally not speak English, right? I mean, some of them, but, you know, 90% of the business was conducted in Russian. So you always have to have sort of a translator with you. But then as you can imagine, a lot of the time stuff gets lost in translation, right? It's like a, you see like a heated argument going on in Russian for 10 minutes and then you get like a one sentence translation for it. Like, okay, <laughs> what really happened? Right here? He, he's not happy with it. All right, okay, I could tell it. It, it yeah. sounded like that, yeah. So after Russia, you did a quick stop in the USA as your wife had a job there. And at that time, you actually worked on founding Personio, right? Correct. Yeah. So how, how comes that you worked on a product which was for the German market, but based in the US? And like, what did that look like? Yeah, sounds confusing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Maybe first, so why Personio at all? So the, the idea for the concept came up during my time at Rocket, actually, because as I mentioned before, we had around 150 employees and, you know, all the HR recruiting, everything was done manually. I mean, manually, I mean, like sometimes even paper based and, you know, Excel was like, you know, the most uh, sophisticated it got, technically speaking. And so it was always a, quite of a pain, right? And and so the thinking behind Personia was really rather straightforward, just to say, okay, you know, let, let's just build an app or an application 
a web-based application that can do that for you, right? So that was the idea. At the time, as you mentioned, we, we lived in the US and there were already a few solutions out there that did exactly that. So the American market is obviously huge and, and extremely competitive very fast. So it didn't seem like, you know, the US was the right place to launch this product in. But then, you know, as I was also going through my network and talking to a lot of people trying to understand, you know, how would this idea of a web-based HR platform actually, would that actually be interesting for people? And most of my people naturally came from a network within Germany. And, you know, the results were pretty clear. Everybody had the exact same problem, right? Either they had no solution or they weren't happy with the solution they had. And so it was pretty clear that, that the German market was a great target market to start this company in. And, you know, the U.S. players were also a little bit blocked because, you know, especially in HR, there was a lot of concern working with an American company to which you give like a lot of very sensitive data, right? Employee data with like, you know, I don't know, certificates of absence and, and stuff like that. It, it mm. gets very confidential. So companies would have appreciated a lot a German choice, so to speak, right? And yeah, so that was that was basically, you know, how the somewhat weird combination came about. But then, you know, it ended up being actually quite challenging because, of course, I then also didn't want to, you know, try to sell this product to a company calling them from a U.S. phone number. So, you know, I, I kind of it wasn't like a secret that I was in the U.S., but at the same time, you know, you also don't want to just like bring up like weird questions right in the beginning of a sales call. And so, you know, I, I tried to like, you know, set up virtual phone numbers with the German area code and had to like obviously also in terms of time zone, I had to accommodate to the German time zone. Right. So it was a bit stressful. Right. And uh, yeah, but ultimately, I, I nevertheless managed to sort of build kind of a first version of the product that was actually rather comprehensive already and, and could be sold to the first customers already. But then the plan was actually to move back to Germany eventually and sell it there or because then you moved to Singapore, right? And this is actually something that also we were asked quite frequently by our CDTM mates, like, why didn't he, why didn't he do it himself? <laughs> yeah, so that was really, you know, I would say a choice made rather consciously together with my wife. So mm -hmm. my wife at the time uh, was working uh, for an international company on an international rotation program. And so the time that we spent in the US, it was rather clear that we would be moving around. We didn't know where it was like maybe nine to 12 month rotations, two or mm -hmm. three or four of them. Right. So it was like all kind of a little bit unclear. But all I knew was, OK, I'm probably not going to be where I am today in 12 months from now. And it's probably also not going to be Germany. I mean, it might be coincidentally, but there's a low chance that it's going to be Germany. And at the time, we had simply agreed that it's it's my wife's turn to focus on her career. So it was just not possible, not feasible for me to say, okay, you know, you know what, let, let's just move to Germany and, and do this there. And, and we didn't want to be living separate either, of course. Right? So it was kind of just, it just happened to be the, the circumstances in my personal life that didn't allow it to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, eventually it played out quite well uh, for you as well in Singapore. Yes. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that we, that we did make the move. And, and actually Singapore in itself was again, a change of plans because like I said, it was a rotation, right? So if we were here originally on a 12 month rotation, you know, until one day I came home, 
<laughs> and you know, told my wife that I had, you know, had a really, you know, exciting coffee chat with someone. And a week later, we we're like, okay, let's just stay here. So you know, it it just it wasn't it was never planned like that. It, it just happened to happen this way, I guess. Cool. So with that, let's maybe move on to the next and last block. So as this is a podcast also about the personal journeys of innovators, we now don't want to go too deep into every technical details of your current startup, which is Stash Away. However, since you've co-founded it in 2016 and you're a CTO to this day, it seems to be quite a substantial part of your life. You actually co-founded Stash Away together with an Italian ex-fast fashion founder and a Malaysian econometrician. How did you find your co-founders and how did you think your diverse backgrounds impact your collaboration right so the connection to Michaela you know came about through my previous co-founder Ella so the two of them they, they worked together at McKinsey and I got introduced to Michaela a while before actually we met and you know at the time he then decided to leave his current workplace and was looking for the next company to found and was looking for a tech co-founder in particular. So we met for that coffee and, and started thinking about different business ideas and, and one of them, the idea of Sashaway. And yeah, and I got hooked on the on the concept super quickly. And Freddie, who's the quant guy, as, a, as you describe him, he was sort of introduced coincidentally during the search for a designer. So that, that was honestly completely random. I mean, somewhat, I guess, through our personal networks, but a bit random. Now, now, as you mentioned correctly, we have very diverse backgrounds, right? And I think one of the key advantages is that it makes collaborating rather easy and straightforward because we each have our very specific set of, you know, area of expertise that we have the authority over, right? And we also trust each other that, you know, that each one of us knows really well what they're doing in, in their respective areas. And also, you know, that's relatively straightforward because we also all have like, I don't know, 15 plus years experience in, in our respective areas. So, but to sum it up, I think the fact that we come from a diverse set of backgrounds makes it easy to collaborate because there's rarely conflict, right? Because again, each one of us kind of knows their perspective really well and there's little disagreement over that. So I think that's really one of the huge, huge advantages, right? Compared to a scenario where you would have two people that have a very similar background and they keep disagreeing all the time, that kind of never happened for us. So that was very helpful. Yeah. Really interesting. You mentioned network already, and this is something I also find really interesting that you moved so many times and building up a network is quite something time com consuming, I would say. Do you think in, in today's world it doesn't really matter because anyway, people are all around the world. And if you say now by coincidence, you actually found your co-founders, how do you yeah, have this network all around the world basically? So the network, like how relevant is that in the international context? So I think for stuff like knowledge exchange, it doesn't matter, right? So I'm still part of a lot of communities, like there's a, there's a builders network that is like rocket originated and stuff. And like, it's anyway, all electronic, right? This happens on Slack, so it's perfectly fine. I do believe it is a bit of a drawback when you want to either found a co -found, find a co-founder or also for early hiring in your company, right? 
uh, because that is usually where it's a lot easier through your personal network rather than you know blindly reaching out to people. And, and that was something we had to do in Singapore to a large extent was to reach out to people like cold, right? And that that's that that makes it much harder to attract these early employees. But yeah, I think that's definitely helpful. For me, again, it was a coincidence, right? I didn't come to Singapore with the intention of starting a company. If I had done that, I would have done very different things. I would have tried to build a network in Singapore and hopefully you'll find someone. But that's hard, right? That takes a lot of time. And, you know, if but if you want to do it, of course, it's possible. Ideally, you go through some connections you already have in the country through whatever way. Uh, and then build from there, right? But but yeah, that's uh, that's definitely true. That you know, it it doesn't that doesn't make it easier, right? If you don't have a local network, and to some extent, when it gets to actually starting something or working on something together with someone, it is helpful if the the the, the network is in the country that you want to do your thing in. Yeah. So now, having met these co-founders, you actually did found Sesha, and it worked out really well, and you've been on it for four years now already. But before that, looking at your CV, you had a tendency to switch like quite often, which of course also has an effect that maybe some of these companies didn't work out. But maybe could you give us a reason why like you leave your previous companies maybe quite quickly? Is it maybe because you get bored too easily or... Yeah, I wouldn't say so exactly. So I think to generalize, right? So you already mentioned, right? I mean, obviously, if the company you know, fails, then yeah, I guess you got to move on. In a more broader sense, I think for me, usually the reason to move on was when things just weren't as I pictured them in the beginning anymore, right? Uh, so for example, at Rocket Internet, I ended up being much less involved on a technical level than I thought I would be. I ended up spending a lot of time on operations and logistics, and that was not really where my interest was in, right? I wanted to work on technical topics, but you know, that was something that, that developed over time. In other cases, maybe the product vision wasn't clear. And you know, as a team, it felt we weren't actually so sure about what problem we're actually solving exactly, right? So usually for me, it was more that stuff just wasn't some assumptions that I had in the beginning weren't true anymore. You know, I actually don't think life as an entrepreneur in a company will ever be boring. There's always new challenges that are being thrown your way. It's actually, I would say, one of the main reasons I love this job so much because there's so much, it never get, it just doesn't get boring. <laughs> you mentioned that you usually moved on when something didn't play out as you imagined it. And I would just be super curious, when is that point where you decide that? So how long do you think you actually have to just go through hard times? And at what point do you say, okay, it just doesn't make sense anymore? Hmm. That's a very difficult question. And I think you need to, you know, first of all, take some time and then kind of work through things and just sort of look at the situation that you find yourself in. And a lot of the time, the decision is actually made for you, right? So you're maybe running out of money or you're unable to close a fundraising round or something like that. I think in that scenario, it's probably better to simply accept that, you know, maybe this is not it instead of pouring your personal life savings into this idea. So that's maybe, you know, one. If it's not that clear, then I think it's important to set yourself clear goals and write a business plan. I mean, hopefully you've done that before, actually, you're in a precarious situation. And, you know, continue to update all your assumptions as you learn more and more about them and be realistic. What you originally set out for is still achievable or not. And, you know, if you realize that, something is wrong, it's not going to work like that. I mean, give yourself some reasonable time to fix it. 
but then if you cannot, you have to move on, right? So I think it's all about, you know, really holding yourself accountable, setting yourself some goals and targets that are realistic and that you really believe you have to get to in order to make this work. But then also saying, okay, I'm just not there. I'm not nowhere near to, you know, getting to that target. It's time to move on. So in these moments of doubt, did you ever question yourself if founding was really for you? And if so, how did you overcome this? Yeah, definitely. So especially I would say after the second startup failed, I was like, oh my God, like it's me, right? Like I'm just not made for this. So that was definitely 100% exactly my thoughts. I think, you know, part of the reason we talked about Rocket before, and I think another aspect that was nice at the time about the Rocket opportunity was that, you know, within Rocket, things are also a lot more guided and structured for you, right? One of my goals was, okay, let me now just take a step back and try to learn as much as possible. And Rocket seemed like a great place to do that. But yes, you know, to be honest, uh, that was, that was a, a, a very big question in my head. And one of the reasons I, I said, okay, let me take a step back and let me try a different approach this time. Interesting. So do you actually, and this is probably a tough question, but do you actually plan to ever found again or maybe even move to something completely different, politics, investing, whatever? Yeah, so when I talk to my wife about that, I'm thinking that it would be nice to take a prolonged time out and just spend time with my family. My wife tells me that's gonna last for two weeks and you know then it's gonna itch me again to start <laughs> something. So I guess time will tell. But it's hard to imagine that I would not found another company ever again. I think it's something that I have for whatever reason a big passion for. And so I do kind of imagine myself doing that again at some point in the future. Now, when exactly that is gonna be, I'm not sure. But it's a lot of fun and excitement for me personally. So Yeah, I kind of think I'll probably be drawn back to that. Yeah, it's awesome to hear this excitement for founding, actually. So no career changes planned anytime soon. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nice. All right, then let's move on to our very, very last part to also get some hands-on expertise of your toolbox and this is just some really quick questions on first of all what is a book that everyone should read so for me a book that actually brought in a lot of change was the four hour work week which you know uh, i'm sure a lot of people know already nice any app everyone should download Yeah, I guess uh, stash away. <laughs> no, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <jokes> aside. <laughs> Personally, I try to spend actually as little time as possible on my phone. I tend to use my phone only for productivity related apps. All right. Any podcasts, of course, besides this one you love listening to? <laughs> so one of the podcasts I listen to is The Anatomy of Next. And it's actually uh, pretty cool because it just triggers some thoughts in your head that you know are completely unrelated to what you do in your day-to-day -day work so i think that that's a really nice one yeah. cool any routine you follow yeah I, i do have a morning routine you know it starts with some meditation i also started writing uh, morning pages which is just, just you writing just a, a couple of pages like you just write like non-stop right and and see what comes out 
and then and then I, and then I spend some time planning and structuring my day ahead. And so that really helps. It, it can actually take, you know, up to an hour in total. So yeah, I try to do it as much as I can every morning. Nice. And last but not least, any innovator everybody should know. Yeah, so I'm I'm sorry this this may sound a little bit cheesy, but but you know, <laughs> I actually truly believe that everybody sort of has an innovator inside of them. And you just got to give that side of you the opportunity and freedom to come out and be surprised, you know, what things you, you actually can do that you weren't aware of. Awesome. Last statement, I would say. Nino, thank you so much for taking the time. It was really a pleasure and such interesting insights. Thanks a lot for your time as well. It was great. Thanks for having me. Wow, these were quite some insights. Tim, what do you think? What was your key takeaway? Uh, yeah, I think I found it really cool how reflected Nino is about his uh, endeavors and how often he kind of really made a clean cut and said, okay, now that's it with this project, uh, with this mm -hmm. startup, let's move on. And yeah, that he consistently kind of pulled himself together and said, okay, no, I, I think I can do it. And then eventually did really turn out and I think that's really quite some quality and endurance that he showed I found that really fascinating yeah how about you Lisa yeah I, I actually I would totally agree for me it's super fascinating that usually you talk about these people once they get successful and I mean it's probably fair to say he's really successful with Personia and Stashaway. And now everyone calls him a su successful entrepreneur and nobody looks at these four failures that happened before the two huge successes that we're now talking about. And I love also hearing about them. And it is just really persistence that made him so successful. And I think it's extremely admirable how he did that. Really, really fascinating personality. I think also some sort of boldness because I think a decision to move to Russia like yeah, definitely. out of the blue. Yeah. I don't know if I if I would have done done that. I honestly don't know. But I yeah. think some sort of boldness as well and like taking up taking some risk and opportunity as it shows. I mm. think that's that's something I learned as well. Totally. Cool. So Uh, this is our first episode. I, I, f I hope you all liked it as well. Please feel free to leave us any feedbacks or thoughts. I can only refer you to our website, cdtm.de slash podcast, or just write us an email at podcast at cdtm.de. And yeah, that's it with our first episode. And I'm super excited to see you back in two weeks uh, with our next episode with Anna Alex, who founded Planetly a sustainability startup and we will talk her with her about how to align purpose with profit but also about how to manage a startup while having a family stay tuned it will be awesome see you then thanks for tuning in